0: I am so glad you all are here. Summertime is kind of, you know, can be kind of hit and miss. And and I've been talking to some other, a lot of other pastors and everyone's kind of in this somewhat post-pandemic, not quite post-pandemic world, not sure what's happening. Uh, And um, everyone was kind of talking about, well, how many of your folks have come back? And and I was saying like, well, most, I mean, we're, we're about where we were beforehand and that's not typical right now. And so I'm really grateful you guys are here. Because uh, if, if, when only half of you show up in a room that we can only fill by 40%, it gets pretty sparse. And so, um, man, I'm just grateful you guys are here. I'm grateful for the band and the, and the beautiful music. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful for what I get to talk about tonight because this little this little couple verses here, this little passage, uh, I just really fell in love with this week as I was studying it. I don't, I, I'm sure I've preached on it in the past. I just don't remember preaching on it in the past. Um, and it runs counter to... A lot of what I grew up with in some ways, and let me talk about that for a minute. Um, I, you know, As a child, I, I, was, I was somewhat anxious as a kid. I had a, I had a few worries. Some of them founded, some of them unfounded, some of them just from the world in general, some of them given to me by particular people. But uh, there was a lot of things I worried about as a kid, just as there are things that you worried about. And sometimes we think back and they're kind of funny. I remember being really, really worried, not knowing if after I got paddled at school, they also told your parents about it or not. Because in my mind, justice was served, uh, and we can just end it right there. There's no need to bring Mr. and Mrs. Dixon into this equation, right? And I, I worried a lot about that um, because I, I, I got my fair, fair, fair share of trouble in school. Um, I grew up in South Florida. I worried about something most of you probably didn't worry about. I worried about alligators. <laughs> like, it, it was in South Florida. It, was, they, it got talked about a lot, like way more than you think. We had people come to our school and talk to us about what to do if an alligator came after us. So as it turns out, you're supposed to run serpentine and climb if you can because they're not very good jumpers, just in case you're ever in that situation. But I, I had legit worries about alligators. I, I had bad dreams about alligators. I worried about alligators. Um, based on TV and cartoons and everything in the 80s, um, I worried a lot about biker gangs, particularly kind of without fingers uh, on their gloves. Um, I worried about quicksand. I thought that was going to happen a lot. That's something that turned out to... I don't even know if it's real in the world or not, but every... 1980s show, someone was dying in quicksand and so I was, walked very cautiously uh, around uh, everywhere. Um, I feared missing the beginning of G.I. Joe when it came on and that's because uh, this is a world some of you can't imagine but if you just missed the beginning of a show you just missed it. They just, it just might come on again at some point but it started when it started whether you were there or not and you couldn't rewind it and you couldn't get it on demand. We were Neanderthals in the 80s. It was terrible and I really worried about missing the shows I wanted to see. Um and then to be honest with you some of the deeper harder fears that kind of stuck with me a lot of those came from church uh a lot of those came from church right uh and I've talked a lot about those kind of things before in here I I had deep abiding fears about whether or not god was mad at me or disappointed in me I had deep fears about whether or not I would end up in hell at some point which is really something any 7 or 8 year old should be thinking about um and I even remember being haunted by a phrase that will only make sense that if you grew up in church and heard a lot. I remember being haunted as to whether or not I was good soil. And that's a weird phrase. If you're not from within the church, it makes no sense. And even maybe from your church, they didn't talk about it. But we talked about it a lot. I, there was a, there's a, a parable in the Bible about someone scattering seeds and they fall on different kinds of soil and, you know, they may get uh, land on the good soil or on rocky soil or the animals may come and eat it up or there may be thorns that choke it out. And there was always these sermons when I remember hearing that sermon a lot and it always ended with what kind of soil are you? Like how receptive are you to what God is doing? You know, are the, are the wild animals of the world just coming and picking it off and taking it away? Or are you really rooting yourself in these things? And I remember really being worried about that because I wasn't sure. And to be honest, those sermons always ended with which kind of soil are you? But they never really told me how to become which one of the soils I wanted to become. It was always just kind of like, be good soil. You're like, great. What does that mean? What do I do with that? How do I make myself good soil? Like, I just never knew what to do with it, and I worried about it. And again, again, am I good soil might seem a bizarre question for a kid to worry about, but it managed to haunt me as a church kid. Uh, Even a parable about someone farming was scary in some way to me as a kid. Uh, and I never, I don't think I ever heard a sermon preached on the other little parable about sowing of seeds, which we're going to look at tonight. Um, and you find it in the fourth chapter of Mark. And uh, if you grew up kind of viewing the Bible and God as I did, this, this couple of verses is probably going to be a little weird to you. Uh, and we'll talk about that for, for a few minutes. And, and this is it. Mark chapter four, verses 26 through 34, uh, through 29, I'm sorry. Uh, and congratulations to Dod- Todd for being the reader tonight when it was this short. You won the lottery. And then there's no names or anything. You're, you, no Machalizedek's or anything like that. You're good. Uh, verse 26 of Mark 4 said this He also said, that's Jesus, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First, the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. The end. Now, if you grew up in a church that dealt heavily in guilt or fear, this parable is in some ways disappointing, right? The kingdom of God is like a guy that throws out seed, then lives his life. He sleeps at night. And everything mysteriously grows without his understanding or apparently even effort, right? The soil does the work. The seed becomes what it should become. When it reaches its fullness, the man enjoys what was grown. Go and do likewise, right? You're like, where is my required angst and haunting fears, right? Where are my steps to making sure I'm appeasing an angry God? Or where is the warning or the hellfire? Where is my burden here? Because if it doesn't make me feel like garbage on some level, is it really scriptural? That's the big question here. (laughs) And this parable doesn't give much in the way of that. In fact, I would dare to say that this parable is kind of easy, light, without much burden. Weird, right? The man in this parable just throws out seeds and enjoys the harvest. And that's pretty much it. He's not strategic about where he plants the seed. He doesn't water it or tend to it. He does not pick up a sword and fight off all the beasts and others who might steal the harvest. He doesn't pull out any weeds or thorns and throw them on the burn pile. He's not heroic in the least. In fact, this may be a very kind of uh, upsetting parable for farmers because he kind of makes farming look really low-maintenance and easy, and I don't think it really is. The man's only activity besides sowing and reaping is sleeping, not sleeping, and not understanding how any of it works. Finally, a biblical character I can really relate to, right? I was, uh, this, this, this farmer doesn't have much going for him. He doesn't have any answers to why things are going the way they're going. And he has almost no control over what's happening. And this just feels weird to me. I was brought up to believe that I must possess some kind of answers or, under, or deep understanding and some kind of control or determination of things. I was brought up to believe those are two things I'm supposed to have, and this guy has neither of them. And I think part of the reason why I fell in love with this parable this week is because, to be perfectly honest, I don't really have either of them as well. I don't have nearly the kinds of answers or control I used to think I'd have by now. Do any of y'all remember uh, thinking about people who were the age you are now and how old you thought they were and how they must have all the answers and how they must have it all together? I mean, I used to think adults actually knew what was going on. Now I'm an adult, and I realize we're all faking it. My, My child actually thinks I know what's happening, right? I mean, don't tell her I don't. I don't have nearly the kinds of answers or understandings or control of things that I thought I would. I remember when I knew I wanted to be in ministry as a vocation, I decided to kind of leave my hometown and my closest friends and head off to seminary to study God. And well-meaning people uh, that were part of the church that I was kind of helping out at at the time pulled me aside and told me to be careful when I went to seminary. They said, be careful when you go to seminary because you might lose your faith. And I thought, that is such a dumb thing to say. I'm ready to go to seminary. I'm going to learn about God for years. How can I lose my faith when I go and get closer and learn more about God? I'm studying him for years, right? Except now I totally understand what they were saying. I disagreed with their opinion that I shouldn't go, but they weren't completely off, right? I was going to seminary to get the answers so I could then come back and share them with the unwashed masses. That's you. but little did I know that virtually everything I was certain of would be pulled apart and deconstructed in front of me in like the first few weeks, let alone a few years I was there. Everything I knew for sure, everything that was a, a period at the end of a sentence or an exclamation point, almost all of it became a question mark at some point. And I can tell you now, without a doubt, having had whatever it was, 96 hours of seminary, right, which is way too long for any degree that doesn't pay really well, that after all those hours of seminary, it did not give me the answers. In fact, I would argue what was most valuable about it is it probably gave me a host of new questions. And to be honest, I think I would have been a nightmare of a person if I had not had all my certainty removed in those classes and during that time. I might be one of those televangelists with their own plane, which is nice. But I'd probably be creating one more, way more damage than I would good in the world. And not only do I not have the answers I thought i have, I don't even remotely have the kind of control or self-determination or determination of others I imagined myself one day possessing it. And now I'm glad about that too. I mean, since, since I started to get into ministry and think about being, uh, you know, working at churches, those kind of things, the overwhelming majority of like conferences and books and Meetings I've been a part of uh, about job about my job have had all this strategy in them, all these how-to things, how to basically make things happen. You work it from A to Z, and you get this result, right? How-to manuals about getting the results you want in your life and in your ministry in these five easy steps, which you know always work. I watched presentation after presentation, read about model after model, and the kind of the presumption underlying each of them was that somehow I was in control. If I just did these few things, then these things would happen. I was the one carrying the ball. If I ran the right plays, I would take the ball from one end of the field to the other. That I had control over the success or the failure, whatever those might mean at that time. It's just not true. It just hasn't proven to be true in my life. It hasn't proven itself out in the real world. It's not true in this parable never had the control I thought I might. I never got to determine all the outcomes like I thought I would. Turns out, I'm okay with that. In fact, one of the biggest temptations as a pastor is to try and think and grasp for more control than I should have. Right? Because I I really imagined one day I was going to stand up in front of a group of people and I was going to preach the Word of God. And I was going to have these certain successes in mind for those who were just blessed enough to receive the manna that I gave them, right? Success was performing this certain kind of thing and then it would change the people that were there and they would become what I wanted them to become or I knew that they were supposed to become. You know, that Joe's been getting in a lot of bar fights lately. So I'm just going to preach the right sermon and I'm going to turn him into a sober guy who stops beating people up at the bar. Sorry to call you out. Todd's betting on the horses again, and I really need to say this message, and it's going to straighten out his life, and he's going to become the kind of person I want him to be. Whoever is not as spiritual as he should be, and I'm going to do, you know, this is, it was all this like results thing. Somehow I was going to control this narrative, I was going to create this thing, and I was going to make something happen for the people around me. As it turns out, and this, this is going to blow your minds, I have absolutely no control over you whatsoever. You can come in here and listen to me preach every day for 15 years, and some of you have, which blows my mind. And I have no control over you. None of you wait for my permission to do, like, anything, which is very disappointing to me as a pastor. And, and this is the important part that I had to learn pretty early, really before Ecclesia started, and what I had to learn was your quote-unquote success has nothing to do with me. You doing or not doing what I want you to do is not a measurement of my success. I don't know why that was a hard lesson to learn. It shouldn't be, but it was. I mean, I can't even control my own kids. How am I supposed to control an entire church full of adults, right? And why would I want to? Because that's kind of the definition of a cult, if you really think about it. But this is, it's kind of baked into this idea of religion for us. This week I was at, at my parents' house in North Carolina. We were helping dad go through some of mom's stuff and just go in to see him and have the whole family there. And so we, we had to get a bunch of things done, but we also had uh, what are called kids. Those two things don't always work well together. And so we had a magical thing happen while we were there. My, my parents live on a, on a cul-de-sac. Actually, the name of the street is Bitter End Circle, which is, just feels like a bad omen at this point. But... And two doors down from my parents is a family that moved in like mid-COVID, like six months ago, and they've got a a little boy that's almost Chapman's age, and they got a little girl that's a little younger than Lillian. Uh, And Lillian found out about that girl, she found out about Lillian, and so they became just the best of buddies like immediately, and they were hanging out over there, which is magical as a parent. Um, You want some place where you can send your child if you want to get things done, right? So, so this family was, they were just so gracious. They knew why we were there. They knew what has kind of happened in our family in the last few months. And they were just, you know, they sent food over even though they didn't know us back, you know, when mom was sick and all that. So they've been very gracious to us already. But the family kind of invited us over. They, they had a pool, which is e- even better. They got a kid and a pool. And, uh, and so Lily was excited. She's over there. She's swimming with the kids. So we go over and we're meeting the, them and really getting to know them and having a great time and, and making new friends. All of us are making new friends. And uh, Ben, the, the, the father, uh, his, his garage is kind of laid out like all of us guys think our garage will look like one day. It's all clean and nice, and he's got like a vintage beer fridge, and, you know, all the tools are in place where they're supposed to be, and it's this cool place. And so we're hanging out in there, and uh, we get to talk, and, and like, we're really in, enjoying each other, laughing, having a good time, and the other neighbor comes over, and we're all hanging out. It's, it's very, uh, it's just what you, exp- what you want out of a neighborhood, right? And then something happens a little ways in. That is my biggest fear anytime I'm hanging out with new people. And that is eventually they ask you what you do for a living. And the worst thing that can happen is you can be enjoying your time with someone who's two or three beers in, and then they ask you what you do for a living. Now, I've got the cover that I've got two jobs, so I can usually lead with the other job. And sometimes they never even ask about the second job. Well, I've got two jobs. They Sometimes never ask about the second one, but, but been asked. And so I told them I was a pastor. And what I hate about this is people tend to totally change around you. Uh, to their credit, they didn't. It didn't seem to phase anyone. And then we ended up having this conversation about kind of, you know, he grew up Catholic and his mom still is, but his dad kind of never really this. And, you know, just kind of talking about religion. He's just talking about things, talking about life. It was really, really interesting finding out about him, all that. And then a couple days later, we're hanging out again. The girls are in the pool. And he said, yeah, I was telling my wife my wife, it was really weird. Like, I found out you were a pastor, and then I kind of started telling you that I grew up Catholic and stuff, and I know you're not. And like, you didn't really seem bothered by it at all. You seemed really cool with it. And he was like amazed by that. And my first impression was like, why would I not be cool with that? And then I realized like, oh, the assumption is if I'm a religious person, I'm going to walk into a conversation feeling like I should have control over your life. Like, I should know exactly what you should be doing and how you should be doing it, and I'm going to have some judgments for you, and I know we just met at the door, but here's some paraphernalia for you, and let me tell you how you should live your life, right? And so he was really impressed that I made the the deeply incredible move of not telling him how to live his life ten minutes after I'd met him. (laughs) But it's a problem we have. We like to kind of control the narrative. We feel like we're supposed to have this deep understanding and this deep control of things. And the truth is I don't have the answers and I don't have that much control. And I think that's what I love about this parable. All the main character of the story can do is sow the seeds and trust the mystery of some eventual fruits that will come from it. And I'm beginning to think that really covers most of what any of us can actually do. And I know that kind of uncertainty and that lack of control drives us crazy. So we tend to lean away from it, right? We tend to play at something that was never intended. We tend to act like we have all the knowledge and more control than we do. And we call it Christianity or whatever we want to call it. But maybe we just need to be like the sower in a couple of simple ways. Maybe we should just remember that our chief task is first and foremost just to keep sowing the seeds Just keep throwing them out there. Keep sowing the seeds of what God and hopefully you and I want to see grow in this world. What do we hope grows in this world? Throw those seeds out there. Sow whatever little bit of love and grace and peace and joy that you have. And someday the bag may be overflowing and you may be covering the ground. And some days you may have to search through empty pockets to find something to throw out. I get it. Scatter it far, wide, without discretion. Just sow the seeds. And as you do that, as you sow those seeds, this whole time while you're doing that, now take a deep breath. Here you go, ready? Live your life. Go to work. Raise your kids. Go to bed. Eat. Sleep. Repeat. And keep sowing the seeds. All the while, just keep sowing these seeds of what you want to see grow in the world or what we know God wants to see grow in this world. And as you do that, as you just simply throw out there what you can, when you can, as you live your life, as we do that, and let it go. Trust the mystery of God's gracious abundance. You don't have to understand it. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have the system worked out. You don't have to know the end before it happens. Trust the mystery of God's gracious abundance. What's going to come from it if I do this? When? How much? Who will see it? What will change? I have no idea. You don't either. It's not our job. That's okay. It's not our job to implement the perfect plan. It's not our job to know exactly how it will work out or whether it will be uh, great or bad or we'll see the results or not. It's not our job. We are called to be faithful, not successful. In the kingdom of God, we sow and we have faith in the mystery of God's grace. The freely distributed multiplication of the little seeds that we faithfully throw in our little lives. And I know for some of you, like for me this week, this just feels a little too easy. It doesn't feel quite right without the heavy burden or the impossible work or the guilt or the shame or the anxiety that's so often paired with quote-unquote Christian duty. Almost like this yoke is easy and this burden is light, yuck, right? But what if this, what what if it was never supposed to be more than that? What if we don't need to carry all the things we've added to it? What if we just throw out the seeds and trust in the mysterious grace of God, and that's really it? And that's not nothing; it's a lot. I mean, honestly, most of the problems I have come from a failure to do one of those two things in my life. It sounds easy. It it is simple, but it isn't easy, right? Most of my problems come from failure of doing one of those two things. Either uh, I'm sowing nothing because I'm too worried about myself, or I'm sowing things the world doesn't need any more of. That's usually called Facebook for me. Or I'm failing to trust that God is actually good and loving and kind enough to make something beautiful of my meager and scattered gifts. Sow it, let it go, trust. Maybe for now, maybe this week even, we can just work on those two things. Sow the seeds of goodness, kindness, love, and grace to whatever extent you can, wherever you are in this world. And then let it go. Trust that God is going to do something gracious and abundant with all of it. And that's it. That's our role. That's the calling. And If we're honest, it's kind of all we're capable of doing anyways. The rest is just posturing or pretending. So may we live our lives by scattering whatever little bits of heaven we can get our hands on and trust that God's grace will grow something bigger and better than we will ever be able to understand. And then get some sleep. You need it. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that you don't need uh, heroes. You don't need giants of the faith that have all the answers. You don't need people of supernatural strength that can move mountains. And twist and force the world and those around them to do what they want them to do. Lord, we are grateful that Your abundance in this world is dependent on people who don't have any answers and don't have don't have much strength and don't have much control, but are willing to throw out the seeds that they have. And trust that you'll do the rest. God, our our prayer is that every person in this room might be, uh, might have all those additional burdens taken off their shoulders. For life is hard enough. Life can be sad enough. Life can uh, be dark enough. Without all the garbage that sometimes religion puts on our shoulders. Lord, may we just be the purveyors of your love and grace to whatever extent we can, whenever we can. And then may we trust that you are doing something bigger and better than we could ever manage. Help us to love this world. And help us to have the kind of faith that trusts in what you are doing in it as well. Lord, we do love you, and we ask all things in your name. Amen.